I've been really stirred and really excited. I've been talking with the staff about this for several weeks now, and now I'm really all the more excited to, um, to start um, uh, engaging the Lord. I felt as though we, the elders have felt and the pastoral staff has felt like we, we really need to, um, to sow some, uh, some effort, sow some uh, heart into our worship. Our, our vision here at Hillside has three major points to it. It's something the Lord gave us. We don't need a renewed annual vision or a new annual vision. We need to be renewed in it for sure. But it comes down to our ministry. What do we exist for? We are together for the purpose of ministry. And our first ministry, which means service, is unto the Lord. The priests of old, uh, God said of them, set apart for me Aaron and his sons that they might minister to me as priests. Because as I'll share with you today, the purpose of gathering the people of God together has always been for the same reason, so that God would have a dwelling place in the earth. Now I know the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I know that God is everywhere and, and he'll come whenever he wants to, whenever he wants to. That there are times that history has been made because the people of God have prioritized his presence. And there, the other two uh, branches of our vision will become completely meaningless if we don't have the presence of God. I mean the manifest, tangible, God is with us, and if God is among us, and God is with us, who could be against this kind of presence? And so we have always committed for the 15 years I've been here since the elders and I together discerned this as Hillside's vision, together drawing on what had come before and putting together what God was doing. This will always be preeminent and we will stop everything if that's what it takes. If we ever have a sense of lacking the presence of the Lord, if we ever get a sense that we've gotten ahead of the Lord, or we left him behind on a mountain somewhere, then we will stop everything. There'll be no ministry, there'll be no outreach, there'll be nothing but gathering and getting on our face before the presence of God, because without that, everything we do is building a house made of wood, hay, and straw. Everything else that we do, if it's not built on Jesus Christ, and by that, not just words we got out of the Bible and then put something together, I mean the manifest presence of Jesus Christ. Everything not built on that is a house built on sand, and it's just a matter of time before the fire comes and destroys the wood, hay, and stubble, or sweeps away the house that's been made on sand. Amen? Then we minister to one another because we have a common God that we all join together in a presence. And that presence is so strong that nothing can tear people apart who have been joined together in the presence of the Lord. And that's the basis of our fellowship. Then we're ready. And then God will see fit for us to go out into the world and draw people in. Why? Because now there's an atmosphere of love and fellowship around the Father's table because that place has been, been made a place where God's presence can dwell. And so the word of the Lord to us is make room. Make room for me. There God is in the middle already and God is going to be doing extraordinary things. Extraordinary things. They're already happening. They're already happening. Behold, I do a new thing. Shall you not, what? Perceive it. Sometimes God's already doing something. We just don't perceive it for a variety of reasons. We're too busy we're too distracted, we're too anxious, fill in the blank, we're too blah, 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 fill in that blank. But God is doing incredible things and us hosting the presence of the Lord and us being a place, and I don't just mean hillside, I mean the church, capital C, being a place for God's presence to dwell in the earth is the solution for every single thing. Every single thing. 
As I've been stirring in this series for a few weeks and a couple of weeks ago before the election, I shared a passionate word about getting involved in the realm of civil government with us. And I, uh, I'm, uh, I will remain firm in that, that we need to be involved and the people of God ought to have a voice and ought to use the authority given us to exercise our influence over civil government. And a good friend of mine came to me and expressed some concerns. And I, I'm only saying that, I'm not gonna name him or her. I'll probably spill out the gender at some point. I'll, I'll have a hard time with that. He, it was a guy came to me and he said, I can't do it. He came to me and he just expressed some concern about being really careful not to feed into the anger that's, that's palpable in the atmosphere, right? So I mean, you know, there's a righteous indignation and then there's an indignation and the scripture says the wrath of man or the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God and it doesn't ever. And so we wanna be really careful with that but it was really good for me to hear his heart and we sat together and, and I heard his concerns and even some of the things that I'd shared that day and, and, and we came to a really good place of peace. Now, he, I'd already planned this message no matter how the elections turned out because no matter what, civil government is just one of things that fall under the purview of we are those who carry the kingdom of heaven. We are citizens of heaven first and forevermore. Nations will come and go. Kings will rise and fall. In the 2,000 years the church has been here, we have watched empires rise and empires fall. The only ones that last any bit of time are the ones who call God their Lord and who submit themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. If we want a nation that will endure, it's gonna have to be a nation that submits itself to the Lord Jesus Christ and gets on board with the kingdom of heaven rather than the other way around. The church was never called to get on board or get on anyone's train and follow after anything that the civil government has to offer. No, it's always meant to be the other way around. Always. From the days of our forefather Abraham, who after winning the war with the Battle of Kings at, at uh, Sodom, and the kings all came to him and they tried to give him gifts. And Abram refused their gifts, even though he and his men had just rescued them from the hand of these surrounding kings. And they tried to bless Abraham, and he said, no, I won't receive a thing from your hand, lest any of you think that you've made me rich. Why? I've lifted my hands to the God of heaven and earth. I don't need anything that you've got. If anything, you should be saying, hey, how do we get on board with what you're doing right now? Because we just saw what your God did with 278 men. I think that's the right number. And, and that's amazing. Your God is amazing. So how about we, can we join your camp? That's the way it ought to be every time, every time. And so the scripture, uh, Proverbs 29.2 says, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, people groan. Some translations have that, when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. But it really just says when the righteous increase, meaning when there's more righteous people. When righteousness abounds because righteous people abounds. Because the sons and daughters of God are being fruitful and multiplying. Or as Jesus put it, are going into all the world to make disciples of all nations. As we do that work, then automatically the people will rejoice. Why? Because righteousness is increasing. It will always be the increase of his government and peace that'll be the hope of all the nations. That's always gonna be the case. No matter what happens in any government, the Prince of Peace still is sitting on a throne. 
And we're the ones, we're the only ones, meaning, I don't mean hillside, I mean Christians, I mean those who call on the name of the Lord, who have direct access to the presence of the king of all kings. God's government doesn't rest in the halls of any civil government. They're his servants, not the other way around. It always rests upon his spiritual governing authority, which is the church. Here's the promise of Isaiah. Do you guys read the first like nine chapters of Isaiah around every Christmas? If you listen to Handel's Messiah, you listen to the first nine chapters of it. It's just, I mean, it's mostly all the scriptures are out of those chapters, but um, this is what the Lord showed Isaiah. This is the second chapter of Isaiah. He got his commissioning, and here's what the Lord showed him. And we're talking centuries and centuries down the road of what God unveiled to Isaiah, arguably the greatest of all the prophets with what he saw. And um, he said, the word of the Lord which Isaiah, the son of Amaz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Let me just say this right now. Every promise made to Israel, every promise made to Jerusalem is now ours in Christ. All of God's promises, all of them are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So if God promised Israel, if God said something about Jerusalem, it's true of spiritual Israel, which is the church, and it's true of new Jerusalem, which is the church. So let me just make sure you got that clear as I read this. It will come about in the last days, we're in the last days. You know, we've been in the last days for 2,000 years now, right? You've read the Bible, you know that? Okay, so don't forget the day and the hour stuff. Don't, don't get caught up in that stuff. Stay on task. Don't let the enemy distract. Don't let the enemy dissuade. You know, it's amazing. We still, you know, we have people that predict the day of the return of the Lord. And, you know, I, I, like I joke around, I've been left behind about 50 times now since I've been saved, you know, with all the predictions about the return of the Lord. And now the world's begun to copy us with when the global climate disaster is gonna come and they have to keep moving the timeline back. You know, we, we survived a few of those too, that the whole world was gonna, first it was gonna freeze over, then it was gonna boil over, and then, well, we don't know what's gonna happen, but it's gonna be bad. And, and we keep surviving those dates too. I just wanna say, just, just ignore the doomsday prophets, because here's the plan of the Lord for the last days. The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established and will be the chief It'll be established as the chief of the mountains and it'll be raised up above the hills. And what's gonna happen? All the nations are gonna stream to it. That's been happening for 2,000 years. And we keep our focus on the mountain of the house of the Lord, which in today's world means new covenant Israel, the church. Wherever we are, which is in all the nations of the earth, these nations are gonna stream to it. The people will come and say, come on, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord. Something's gonna happen, in other words, that make people say, oh, something about those people. They might look a little nutty and they might behave a little fruity, but there's something they got. And we're gonna stream into the mountain of the house of the Lord because what they got is what we need. They got peace when we have no peace. They're joyful when we're mad. And they have a patience and a persistence about what they do that, that it's almost like they're immune to circumstances and they just carry on as if nothing happened because it's like they got their head in the clouds or something like that. You know that's a good thing, right? I mean, we use it bad. You know, somebody, uh, there's this phrase that we use, oh, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. And I understand what that means. Like you gotta put works to your faith but I propose that most of the problem in the church and in the world today is that people are so earthly-minded that they're no heavenly good. And many times, you know, church programs can be something that they can become something that, look, the government does that already. You know, even like tomorrow, we're gonna be out here with our food ministry and we could just hand out food and, you know, put grocery bags in. There's so many people are giving away free food and there's resources and places to go. And we could just do it like that. 
But we, we understand that there's a lot more need than just that you got groceries in your cupboards, that you need to taste and see how good the Lord is. And that's why we pray over everybody who comes through. That's why we believe God for a manifestation of his presence when people come through to receive from our food ministry. That's how it works with us. And, and, and they say, why are we going up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he might teach us concerning his ways so that we might walk in his path. People are gonna get hungry for the ways of God when God exalts the mountain of the house of the Lord above all the other mountains. We're above, it's above all the other mountains. For the law will go forth from Zion, which is the mountain of the Lord, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, which means the city of peace, which is us. Everywhere we go, the city of peace is now a mobile facility, and it goes wherever the people of God go. I'll, I'll skip over this part. Come house of Jacob, he says, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let us walk in the light as he is in the light. Let's just be the people who know what it means to walk out in the open with God and then become the light of the world. Amen? All right, so here's what I want to dig in on you with. Zechariah 2 and verse 10 says, Sing for joy, be glad, daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. If you read the Bible from Genesis all the way through to the New Covenant, every one of the covenants that God made with anybody from Noah after the world was destroyed by flood to Abraham when he was just out there worshiping whatever he knew of God at the time and he made covenant with him. Then how he made covenant with Israel. He made covenant all throughout the Old Testament with various people at various times. He made some kind of covenant with Adam and Eve. How did Cain and Abel know to make sacrifice? It doesn't describe it, but obviously God came and said, this is how you can have fellowship with me. And the purpose of every covenant was the same. No matter what the terms of the covenant, the, main, the purpose of it was the same, that God would dwell in the midst of his people. He has always been looking for a way that he could dwell in the midst, not just of his chosen people, ultimately, not just in the midst even of his church. He just wants to be with us again. From the day Adam and Eve had to leave paradise because of what they brought in, God has been seeking a way to be in and among his people. Now, it, it has to be done right. There's certain terms to that. It's a little bit like, uh, I guess the best picture is, imagine, you know, before we have certain things happen on the inside of us. In the old covenant, there were sacrifices made. and the new covenant, after the perfect sacrifice was made, now we have Christ in us. That's what makes it safe to approach the presence of the Lord. Otherwise, it'd be a little bit like flying a plane too close to the sun. What was that? What was that Greek story? What was a guy's name? Daedalus, who made the wings? Icarus, thank you. I knew you'd knew that. Micopedia comes through again, right? And he made the things and he waxed them together and then he flew too close to the sun and he fell to the ground. That's what it's like to get too close to the presence of the Lord covered in sin. And so God has always made a way. What was the purpose? I want you to be near me. I want you to be able to approach me and I want to be able to approach you without destroying you because I can't change what I am and I can't change who I am. I am holy. And in my presence, everything that's not holy dissolves, it dissipates, it burns up. I am a consuming fire, I can't help it, it's who I am. And so he's always found a way that he could dwell in the midst. In the, in the old covenant, the, the covenant of Moses, it was a tabernacle whose specific purpose was, God said to Moses, make me a tabernacle that I might dwell 
in the midst of my people. And it's always been the same. It's no different now in the new covenant. We are now the dwelling place of God in the earth. We are those whose primary purpose is to create a place for God to dwell in the midst of the earth. Amen? Is this new for anybody? Might be a little bit new, or maybe it's renewed, but it is God's emphasis for us right now that we're gonna learn how to host his presence. And I'll show you why that's so important. The single most important thing for the church to do is, and, and what we must do, is make room for the presence of the Lord in the earth. There are things that the church can do. We can do a lot of things, especially when we're united. You know, I, I remember um, I was part of a mega church. I served at Christ Community Church, and it was, you know, it was like 2,000 of us or so at the time, and I became the associate pastor there before coming to Hillside. And I remember the strength of unity, 2,000 people in one accord. I mean, just the financial blessing alone of what we could do because we had a gathering that large. I mean, my children's ministry budget was like Hillside's budget. You know, it's it just that number of people doing things together. And I saw the power of unity. I saw what happens when people gather together, hearing the same thing, moving in the same direction. And that was just a little taste of it. Imagine a billion people or two, whatever we are around the world right now, all moving in the same direction, what that might do. Imagine that spirit of unity and what the world will look like when we reach that, when we attain to that perfection. Imagine what the world's going to look like. You know that we are going to get there, right? I got like half of you so far. Maybe I have to convince the rest of you. Jesus said he would do it. Do you really think that Jesus' prayer is going to go unanswered? There's not a single thing Jesus ever asked of the Father that he didn't get. And he prayed just before he went to Gethsemane, Father, make them one as you and I are one so that the world will know that I was sent from the Father. How will the knowledge of the glory of the Lord cover the earth as the waters cover the seas? Well, Jesus said they're going to know that I was sent from the Father because I'm going to do a work of unity in their midst. So there are things that we can do. There are things that we should do, but there's only one thing that we must do. One thing that we must do, and it was what Mary and Martha learned. Martha was serving Jesus. Martha was doing all the things necessary to host the people that were with Jesus. She did everything that was necessary. Mary sat at Jesus' feet. And Jesus said, after Martha publicly rebuked Mary, Mary has chosen the better part, or Mary has done what is needful, is another way of translating that. Mary guts it. She knows what needs to be done, what must be done right now. And it's not making pita bread and giving water to everybody so they can listen in comfort. What they need right now is to sit at my feet because I'm present with you right now. And that's more important than anything. Amen? So those who host the King of Kings will prevail in the future of nations, will prevail in your family, will prevail in the community, will prevail in every place to set the direction and see to it. And I can't think of a, a greater example of this. We, there's so many things to talk about in terms of spiritual warfare and how things ought to go, how, how our ministry on the outside ought to go, but they always come down to the same thing. The people of God have always been wildly successful when we've been really good at honoring the Lord and keeping him in really close. You know, when Moses was on the mountain, what am I pointing at? The mountain of God's over there. I don't know why I just did that. When Moses was on the mountain, or Moses was in the tent of meeting rather, before he went up on the mountain, 
They were about to leave Mount Horeb, the Mount of God, or Mount Sinai as it's also called. They were about to leave there and God said, hey, I'm gonna send an angel in front of you and, and dude, just tell the people don't mess with him because he's a, I, can't, I still need a better adjective because I don't want to say it over the pulpit. But he's one of them dudes you don't mess with. He's like die hard, you know, he, he's just don't mess with them. He's like that. He's going to go in front of you and he's just going to drive all the inhabitants out before you. And that would be great, right? Because you're supposed to go possess the promised land. I want a general who can just kick butt and, you know, just go and move everything out. And God, it's like God finished talking to Moses. Said, whoa, 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 hold on a second. You mean you're not coming? Because if you're not coming, I'm not going. That, that should be on our refrigerators. If he's not coming, I ain't going. He won't send us any place where his presence isn't already there. But how many of you have done the same thing as all of us have done? That was a twist, twist around question, wasn't it? I just said everybody's done it while asking you how many have done that. I caught myself, though. All of us have done this thing where we get out ahead of the Lord and then we wonder why things are going wrong instead of saying, okay, God, we're going together. You, you in front of me. I remember saw a bumper sticker one time said, if God is your co-pilot, switch seats. <laughs> right? That we're going to go that way, but we're going together. Those who host him will prevail in all things. I can't think of a, a better example of this and why spiritual authority always trumps every other kind of authority. There is civil authority. I addressed that a couple of weeks ago. There are kings, governors, presidents, there's all kinds of whatever the leadership offices are in various nations. They're judges who have actual authority. The purpose of their authority is to serve God, right? There is, there is instrument to do things in the earth, but there's one kind of authority that trumps all of them, and it's spiritual authority. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. What do we wrestle against? Principalities and powers, right? Forces of darkness in the heavenly places. That's who we wrestle with. That's where authority happens. Whatever's happening down here in the earth, there's already been a, a victory or a loss in heavenly places for the kingdom of heaven. That's where a warfare is. So I'm gonna just bring you up to the story I wanna read to you real quick here. And it's a moment in David's life which I've been reading through the life of David with my kids. We've been kind of spattering through and working our way through reading through David's life. And my favorite part of David's story is the wilderness years because he did so well when he was dying and you know, running for his life and being hunted and, and all that. Then he became king and all of a sudden it's like, Who, who's this guy? Anyway, that's just still a man after God's own heart and worth exploring, which I, I really feel we will do in the new year. I feel like God's showing me some things for us how many, let me just uh, preview. Here's a, they call, what they call it, a teaser. How many of you are called to leadership here? Raise your hands. It's not enough hands. All right, put your hands down. How many of you are in Christ? If you don't put your hand up, I'm gonna start preaching the gospel. If you are in Christ, you are the head and not the tail. And so you were called to leadership. I don't mean everybody's called to an office of leadership or called to have a title of leadership, but every one of us is called to leadership. What that means is influence. What that means is people will follow us as we follow Christ. That's what leadership's all about. David, the man after God's own heart, because he was pursuing God's own heart, even though he blew it worse than most anybody who's ever lived, God still loved him and referred to him when Jesus became incarnate. He said, call me the son of David. Of all the kings who have ever lived, that's the one I want to be remembered as. Anyway, that's coming in the new year. But David 
running for his life after Saul threw spears at him. He's running for his life now. He and Jonathan made covenant with each other. And David knew he didn't know where else to go but back to the prophet who anointed him in the first place, who anointed him at his father Jesse's house and said, the spirit of God is on you right now. You're God's chosen one. And he, he anointed him. And David knew in his heart, someday I believe I'm going to be king, but not yet because Saul's king right now and I won't usurp him because God anointed him king too. And so David had this journey, which is a fascinating journey. But after, da after uh, Saul threw spears at him for the second time, it says that David ran for his life. And I'm going to pick up the story here in verse 18 of 1 Samuel 19. I was really taken with Sylvia Evans talking about how uh, they always put the scriptures up on the screen so nobody brings their Bible to church anymore. And I was like, <laughs> you know, you ever have those moments where, oh man, you know, and I do that. Well, it's because everybody's a different translation, all right? That's why I do it. We talked about it afterward. I could laugh. Because <laughs> I want to make sure, because sometimes words matter and translated words matter, and that's why I put it. This is the NASB, which is the, I'm, I'm even going to joke about because I've gotten in trouble for joking around. It's my favorite translation, the least interpretive of all the English translations. I want the Spirit of God to interpret the Bible for me. Thank you very much. With all respect, I love all the translations, love the passion, the message, and the, the nearly inspired version, NIV, right? You knew I was going to say that, didn't you? <laughs> uh, when we talk about translations in the foundations class, I get into that a little bit, what the different translations do with the word. But anyway, um, I want to read for you this. All right, so 1 Samuel 19, we'll start in verse 18. David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah. I want to stop there for a second. Of all the places in Israel, why did David go to Ramah? Well, he went there because Samuel was there. And he said, I don't know what to do. Saul's going to kill me. And now he's spreading a rumor that I'm trying to usurp the throne. And I don't know where else to go, but I've got to get to the prophet. Now, that's one thing. But why at Ramah? Because he knew he'd find him there. What was Ramah? Ramah was the place where Samuel lived, and he had a company of prophets there. When Saul was ordained king, when Saul was anointed king, Samuel told him to go to this company of prophets at Ramah. And when he came in there, Samuel's promise to him was, you're going to go with them, you're going to join in their midst, and you're going to be changed into another man. I'm going to give you all of what you need. Because you remember, when Saul was anointed king, he was hiding. He didn't believe he was worthy. I, he's the guy I think of all the people in the Bible I feel sorry for. He's the one I feel the most sorry for. Because he said, no, I don't want to be king. He even tried to hide on his coronation day from the Lord and he did it and he fell just like I believe he knew in his heart he would I just feel bad for the guy I mean I once he starts like getting his growly face and hunting David and throwing spears at David and his son Jonathan then I'm like all right dude you know you got issues maybe a lifetime subscription you know not just issues but he got issues um, but Ramah anyway was this place so that happened Saul went and he was changed into another man he began to prophesy He's never known in the Bible as a prophet. And, and nothing of his life or of his way indicated that he would have the anointing of a prophet. But there he was prophesying with all of them. And by prophesying, in the Old Testament word doesn't just mean to speak like into the future or speak prophetic insight into things. It, it meant all of the spiritual experience. It's like having a charismatic worship service if I dare. Well, I can do that here because that's us. All of the, what the Spirit of God does when it bubbles up and out. 
So falling to the ground, singing, proclaiming, all of the things that we know, everything that happened there in Acts chapter two when the Spirit of God got poured out, all of those were on the table when the Old Testament word for prophecy, this one, is used. And so it said that he prophets, and so there became a thing known throughout the land is Saul also among the prophets. That's when the word was first used. So Saul had this experience and he had an opportunity, I believe a genuine opportunity from God. I've given you my spirit to accomplish the call. How many of you know, even when we feel unqualified for whatever we're called into, God gives us the spirit to make up for every bit of lack. It's not just where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Where everything, where every lack we have in our life, grace fills the gap. So there's nothing that God will call us to where he doesn't give us all the grace to fill in where our natural ability falls short. You guys okay? That's, that's what he does. And so David came to this place to be with the prophet, but it was a place that Samuel himself had sanctified. Once, you know, David wasn't the first one to bring the ark of God back to Israel. Samuel was. During Samuel's day, and I have to back all the way up to the beginning of 1 Samuel, but I want to make sure you understand what's going on here because it's significant. Samuel, the prophet, grew up under Eli the high priest who was, you know, I mean, he was still the priest, still anointed, but his sons were, I mean, sinning right there in the tabernacle. It was just a terrible time. The ark of God had been stolen by the, uh, one of the ites, who was, oh, the Enes, one of the Philistines, took the ark. And it's a funny chapter, 1 Samuel, I think it's five. It's a really funny chapter, you gotta read it. Because they brought it to one city and they put it in the temple of Dagon, who was their god. They came in the next morning, there's the ark, there's Dagon. Dagon is on his face, prostrate before the ark with his head, arms, and feet cut off. Like now, now they're gonna change his name to Matt, because you know, he's, <laughs> sorry. He's on his face before God in the middle of Dagon's temple. And, and that's what happened in that place. And then all of a sudden, they broke out with tumors on their body. So, so there's five Philistine lords, right? So this guy says, hey, do you want the ark? You can use it now. And they give it to the next guy over. They get it. They break out. And then they go to the next lord over. Hey, um, how about, it's your turn. Why don't you take the ark? Look, this is what we took from, this is the presence of their God, you know, that always beat us in battle. And they took all five of them, had the same thing happen. So finally they said, what are we going to do? We got to get this thing out of here. So they, they brought it back. And anyway, Samuel oversaw it coming back and it was back in the tabernacle where it belonged. And after all that was done, Samuel knew if we're going to be a nation, we have to have the presence. It's the most important thing. Yeah, God will go out and fight battles for us and God will do his thing, but we must honor the presence. And in that day, in that covenant, that meant the ark. So they had the ark, they put it safely, God's presence in their midst. But Samuel came back, it says, at the end of this part of the story, and he made an altar at Ramah. He built his own like secret place. Before Jesus taught about when you pray, go and shut the door, Samuel and all the other prophets knew, I need a place that's sanctified to the Lord a place where it's just me and him, where I'm gonna cultivate his presence, where when I step into that place, anybody have a place like that? Uh, Like a prayer closet, we call it sometimes, or a certain place where it's just like, as soon as you get there, you just sense it's been saturated with the anointing of God. the, The presence is just here, even when I'm not here. It's like something about it's become holy ground. And whenever I'm in here, I feel it. And God's here waiting for me. I hope you have a place like that. If you don't, I urge you, 
begin to consecrate an altar. What an altar means is this is the place where I sacrifice. This is the place where I give myself over to the Lord. This is the place where I have communion with my God and I don't need a priest, I don't need a pastor, I don't need anything because it's me and Jesus time now and I'm gonna build an altar and once that altar is sanctified, once it's had the tears of grief saturating it, once it's had all of the the honest conversation, once it's had all the worship, once it's had all the things we do in the place of prayer, it gets built up and there's just like this thing that happens in it. Um, and, And so that was Ramah. Samuel had built that place up and now he had a company of prophets with him too that became saturated. They fell under the same spirit that he'd been cultivating in Ramah and he had a group of them that carried that same spirit. So it was told Saul saying, behold, David is at in Nioth in Ramah. And then Saul sent messengers to take David. But when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying with Samuel standing and presiding over them, the spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul and they also prophesied. So picture this, these guys are coming to hunt David down, bring him back to Saul so that he could have him killed. They come in, and they fall down on their face into the presence of the Lord. So it was told Saul, so he sent some more messengers. And the same thing happened to them. They fell on their face. They began to prophesy. They were changed into another man, just like Saul once was in this very same place. That's the power of the presence of the Lord. The ones who came to persecute and arrest David were now worshiping God along with him. That's spiritual authority. That's what spiritual authority looks like. That's what it looks like when the righteous rule, as the scripture says, that's what it looks like. What if Ramah was not just some remote location off in the mountains, but it was everywhere the people of God gather? For that matter, what if it was everywhere the people of God step with the sole of their feet? As we've cultivated the presence of the Lord so much that wherever we go, it becomes holy ground so that even he makes our enemies to be at peace with us. Now that's spiritual authority. It doesn't matter who you voted for or anything at that point. Now God showed up and he trumps everything. They prophesied. So then he himself went to Ramah. He's like, man, you want a job done right? You gotta go do it yourself. He was so demonized at this point, he probably forgot what happened to him last time he visited with Samuel at Ramah. He came and, and he went to this place. I'm gonna go try it. Seku, Siku? Where are Samuel and David? Someone said, they're at Nioth and Ramah. Didn't your messengers tell you that twice already? Oh, I forgot. And he comes, he proceeded, and the Spirit of God came upon him also as he was walking. He went along prophesying continues. So imagine this guy. It's like this zone. He stepped into the zone of the anointing, and he starts walking, and we're David, hallelujah. And he just, you know, he's like, all of a sudden, praise the Lord. Where's David? I'm going to come. Hallelujah. Bless you, Lord, on my side. And he's just in this thing, but he can't resist because the presence of the Lord is so strong. Are you capturing this? This is the power of hosting the presence of the Lord. The enemy of David is coming in this place and he's magnifying the Lord. By the time he came in ready to arrest him, he left writing Psalms. And so it goes on. He said he stripped his clothes off, man. He got so, now thankfully, now that's one thing I've never seen happen in a service before. I've seen people do some weird things when the Lord falls in a gathering. Never seen anybody strip naked. And don't tell me if you have. I don't want to know. It's one of those things. I don't know. I've never seen that. I've seen some weird behavior. 
before, but never that. But he prophesied, he laid down naked all day and all night. That was the, he came under the siege of the Spirit of God. Some of you, some of us, need to be praying that that'll happen to people that are persecuting us. How about instead of making our plot for revenge, we begin to say, okay, bless them, Lord. Pour out your spirit on them, Lord. Overwhelm them with your goodness. Let them see what you're really like. Would you baptize them in the spirit the next conversation we have before they even get a chance to curse me one more time? Would you just fall on them as you did Saul so that they would begin to speak blessing? You know when this happened, right? Do you remember um, Balaam the prophet? You remember that story? It's in Numbers. Balak the king hired him to curse Israel. He gets up on top of a mountain. Three times it says, three oracles of Balaam, it says. He gets up on there. He warned the king. He said, look, I'm a prophet, a genuine prophet. That's why he came to me. Uh, how much you paying? Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll receive that from you. But I've got to warn you right now, just so you're not disappointed. Let's talk about the terms here. I can only say what God says. I can't make up my own prophecy. Uh, that's not what false prophet means. False prophet means false motive. He says, I'm going to have to say what God says. So three times, I'm going to sum it up like this. Balaam gets up on a mountain. He sees Israel below, and he goes, I bless you. He couldn't do it. The words could not, literally could not come out of his mouth. He starts prophesying. You know where the star of David prophecy comes from? Is Balaam. This prophet who was hired to curse Israel, but he kept looking at him and the glory of God was so over that camp. He said, I can't curse him. I want to, because I know you're probably not going to pay me now. I should have asked for a down payment or something like that, because I'm the worst cursing prophet you've probably ever come to before. But at the end of the day, he just couldn't do it. That's the power of the presence of God in their midst. He saw their glory. He saw the way they were camped. And uh, I don't want to dive in that. And he couldn't. He just had to bless them. It is always his presence carried by his people that's responsible for driving back the kingdom of darkness. That's how it works throughout the scripture. It's how it's worked throughout history. And that is why it is first and foremost of our responsibilities. It's not first and foremost our responsibility to do anything outside where his presence dwells. We're called to take his presence, but we don't want to go out if his presence isn't with us. So, what if I told you that some of the most powerful words of praise in the Old Testament came from pagan kings who fell under the same glory because of faithful servants? I'll just use Daniel. I'll just use Daniel. So, this happened at the end of one of Daniel's many encounters where his life or his friends' lives were on the line. And uh, I'm going I'm to give you a test, just like Sylvia Evans. Some of you were laughing when Sylvia would always look at me, and it was like Bible trivia, now it's your turn. <laughs> I fill in the blank, the king to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live in the earth, may your peace abound. And Nebuchadnezzar, would you say, yeah, okay, seminary girl, I, yeah. Yeah, it was Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar uh, to, that live in the earth, may your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. That was a pagan king who had just seen three men survive a fiery furnace and he couldn't do anything but glorify God after that happened. 
Now, he still thought he was God. He still had issues. He still thought that golden statue was a great idea based on the dream Daniel interpreted for him. But this is the power of this. It didn't matter that Nebuchadnezzar's heart was never in that worship. He testified because he saw something. Why did he see something? Because there was a man who was bold enough and faithful enough to keep carrying the presence of God even in the midst of all kinds of darkness. Even after he'd been taken captive, held as a slave, forced to serve in a pagan empire after being really close to the glory of the Lord in Israel. At the end of that period, now this, this happened later on, uh, and you probably know because this is the same chapter. This is Nebi again. At the end of that period, I raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. This is, by the way, after he had a second dream and he told it to Daniel and this was a dream of judgment because Nebuchadnezzar had looked at the glory of Babylon and all he had built. He looked at the walls of Babylon, which are uh, some of the, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the hanging gardens. He looked at that and he said, look at all of what I built. Oh, how glorious a king I am. And he went mad. He lost his mind and was out in the field grazing in the grass. I mean, and, and this was the dream that God was give, telling him, this is what's about to happen. When Daniel heard the dream and God showed him what it meant, you know what he did? He went back in his chamber and said, yeah, it's about time. Just checking. Because I know a lot of believers who would feel that way if certain people of and position and influence right now would receive the judgment of God. And I want to urge you to choose Daniel's way. That's old covenant. That's, that's Daniel, God on the outside, just having his ways and having some interaction with the spirits some angels. What's, how all the more when we have Christ in us? Daniel's like, the old, anything that happened in the old covenant, that was a warm-up act. Even Jesus was the warm-up act. He said, greater things than these will you do, Right? So Daniel's response was, may, the, may this dream be for your enemies and its interpretation for those that hate you. I don't know about you, I'm still praying toward that level of honor, that level of sovereign trust in God, that level of love, I mean that level of blessing those who persecute you. I'm on my way too, but Daniel did that. And because of Daniel's posture, he maintained confidence every single emperor that came along. Four empires worth. Daniel was there for the cha changing of the guard of everyone, and all of them testified, oh, if you got an issue, you go get Daniel. He's the one you want to talk to right now. His God, he, he interprets dreams. He just knows, like he has an inside thing with the big man. You know, that, that's how they were with him. He said, at the end of that, I raised my eyes toward heaven. My reason returned to me, and... I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Here, this is Nebuchadnezzar now. His dominion's an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as, he's writing a psalm. You hear this? This guy's a pagan. He's not opting, he's not saying, hey, can I be the next high priest? He's, he's, I don't know if he ever, I don't believe he did, ever got converted to worship the God of Israel. But here's a moment. And this is why when the, when the people of God carry the anointing of God, carry the presence of God, even pagans, even unbelievers, even those who hate God, persecute God, they, they come under the siege of it and they begin to worship God. 
He, he does according to his own will and the host of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can ward off his hands or say to him, what is this you're doing? And, and he returned and, and he returned all these things to me. And now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven. You know what's amazing? You could think of your, uh, whoever it is in government that you struggle not to despise. I'm going to assume the best that we don't allow de- despising anybody to settle in our hearts, the ones that you struggle with the most, like you, it's hard for you to hear them give a speech or something like that. Just imagine if one of them would begin to speak like this. And here's my challenge for us. Would your heart rejoice? Would you say, praise God, you finally got a hold of him? You finally got a hold of her? Man, I've been, I've been cheering that they would go to jail, but now I praise God because you saw fit to move on them so that they worship you. And I thank God for that. (laughs) Just trying to read the spirit in the room. That is who we are. That is 100% who we are. If we want to host the presence of the Lord, we've got to be like Daniel. Because God honors those he sets in authority. He calls pagan kings my servant. Like Isaiah 45, Cyrus, Cyrus, my servant. So he made a decree that everybody would fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. He is the living God. He endures forever, and his kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed. Amen? So his presence is our priority. Can I have the worship team back up front? Will we all stand to our feet for a moment? Because I want to invite you in on a song that's uh, it's a prayer song. It's a it's a declaration prayer song. It's uh, Let It Rise. Some of you know the song already. And um, it's, it's a song where we're declaring and asking the Lord to do something. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. And here's the, the purpose of it and the reason why church exists. This is Ephesians 2.21. In whom the whole building, which is us, the build, we are the God's building, being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. This is describing the church. In whom you also are being built together a dwelling of God in the Spirit. That's our purpose. That's our purpose. So I'd like you to, can you grab hands with a couple of people so that we could just be in one accord and come on up. I I want you to share before we sing, Roy. I'm going to let Roy exhort or share whatever he's about to share and then... uh, Worship team, you could get the song ready to go and, and we'll minister to the Lord together. Well, this has been bubbling in my spirit ever since uh, our prayer session this morning. And I know we're entering a season of Thanksgiving, okay? So uh, when Pastor Steve uh, exhorted people who are anointed in doing things and they have a vision and they can see something before it's even finished, and then he talked about an artist. And it brought to remembrance, I think about Ted Book, and I think how many times he stands here, and it's a line here, and it's a line there, and I'm looking at this thing, and I say, how's this going to turn out? You know, and all of a sudden, it's this miraculous picture that just comes together, you know. And then he brought to my remembrance, he says, as we entered this, this sanctuary today, there was anointing over everyone that came through that door, okay? His word was spoken over and it's because of a vision and an anointing and an understanding of this man who decided to put over that door, enter his gates with thanksgiving, 
and his courts with praise. So I think if we do that every day, if we petition ourselves to just look at where we're at, no matter what our situation be, but enter that situation with thanksgiving and praise. So I think when we do that, it just ties things up with what Pastor Steve was bringing forth here today in this sermon. If we do that, is his... Uh, his uh, presence but his glory his glory will be revealed to us in that situation so father god i just thank you for this day i thank you for all the words that have come forth here today and as we enter into this time of praise may our hearts be tuned to you with a spirit of thanksgiving and praise in jesus name amen thank you roy all right, let, let's sing this together, but I want to encourage you to mix it back and forth because it's a song. Go ahead and put the first slide up, Vince. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Who are we talking to? Who, who do we want to let the glory rise among us? Okay, so it's each other and it's the Lord. Lord, we want your glory to rise among us, but we're saying to each other, let's do everything that's within our power to allow the glory of the Lord to rise in our midst. So this is a worship with your eyes open song. Just to bring that home, I'll, I'll personally stand right here. Because this is a prayer. This, this is It's called horizontal vertical worship right now. But let's really, th this is serious, all right? This is like, this is what will change climates and atmospheres. This is what moves nations. This is how God has now got a window or, or an open gate rather to come in, right? Swing YG, ancient gates, so that what? So the King of Glory might come in. If somebody would have it. So the King of Glory might come in. Let's do it. Amen. Let the joy of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, let everything that the Lord is rise in your life as you go from this place. May the glory of the Lord go before you, may it be behind you, all around you. May you see it and experience it in the countenance and in the words of those that you influence. May the presence of God as it goes with you give you experiences like Daniel had when Nebuchadnezzar glorified the Lord. May the presence of the Lord guard and protect you as it did David when he came into the presence there at Ramah. May everything about who God is be your portion as you go from this place, glorifying the Lord and bringing the kingdom of heaven wherever your feet touch. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you guys.